This is Polar Request, live from the heart of Brooklyn. Polar Request is an hour-long podcast about everything in and relating to technology. Starring two techno experts, Eric Newman, hi, and Chris Grabowski. How you doing? This week's episode, Newsday 2.0. Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another Polar Quest. My name is Eric Newman, and to the left of me, as usual, is Chris Grabowski. Hello. Hello. Hi. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Happy third. Happy third. We're a day late and many dollars short for our usual Sunday show. We're recording it on Monday. It's the first Monday night Polar Quest. Uh, yeah, actually. Yeah, the ones that we did over the holidays last year, I think, were later in the week. I don't think we ever did a show on a Monday before. Hmm. Yeah, I know you sound excited. I'm definitely excited because that's my life. <laughs> uh, and, of course, also very much excited for our Monday night show is our studio audience. Can I get a hello, everybody? Oh. Their microphone was potted down. That's it. Sorry about that. How's it going, guys? I keep them in a, in a Tupperware container during the week, and I let them out on Mondays. Just for us. Uh, they, unfortunately, Tyler Dinner, our third compatriot, w- is detained on, uh, by gastrointestinal difficulties. Uh, not cool, dude. Aww. Not cool. Oh. I mean, come on. You can take a shit joke better than anybody I know. Anyway, no. The point is, is Tyler, Tyler's been detained. And um, our hearts go out to form. I, can't, I lost my train of thought. I can't believe it. Our hearts go out to him. We hope that he feels better. And uh, we have a lot of stuff to get to tonight because it's our Newsday episode, which uh, we've done one before. And because we only do one main topic a week, and we have a little peppering of some side topics, one main topic a week, there's a lot of news stories that kind of crop up. And uh, we'd love the chance to be able to pick them apart. And that's what our Newsday episodes are for, like today. I am. This is why we can't do the shows on Monday. My brain, the talking part of my brain, is really set for Sunday. Uh, you talk like this anyway, so let's uh, I do. power through it. Okay, well, let's see. So today's the 3rd of July. Of course, we have our wonderful Independence Day tomorrow on the 1st of July, which was Friday. Right? No. Yes. Saturday. Yes, you're correct. Monday. Yes. See, two days, because it's not Sunday. Anyway. Uh, sa- sa- Saturday was Canada Day. Uh, there are 150 Canada Day, Canada Day, uh, and Canada Day, and uh, they, in their spirit of having holidays that are before ours, much like this and Thanksgiving, uh, always just like trying to steal our thunder. No, they apologize for it. No, that's true, but you know how sorry, how sorry can they really be? Uh, a a boot, yay, big. Eh. Okay. Um. Anyway. Uh, nothing, nothing from our audience on that one. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, and so those are. I think that's all the small talk that we had. Uh, I really feel bad for Tyler just because he w- he almost made it, and and I, none of you listening will know this, but like right before we were recording, it, it didn't. I just I feel really bad for him. So, um, yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> Guys, take it easy. Take it. Take it easy. Take it easy. The studio audience are really not happy that Tyler didn't make it. I, uh, yeah. But like I said, I really do feel for him. I hope he feels better. Um, okay. <clears throat> so now let's get on with the show, and it's time for our GitHub Issues of the Week. 
first GitHub issue of the week hasn't been opened yet because I haven't right-clicked and clicked open in new tab. Well, I've got it. You've so got it. It, it comes from React. Yes. It's, hold on, set state callback returned with null instead of undefined in JavaScript. And I guess many languages, null it does not mean undefined. Uh, no. There's, hmm. They're slightly very, very equivalent. Few, very few languages actually have a concept of defined but, uh, uh, defined but no value. Is and that because of the weak typeness of JavaScript? So, a, a, yeah, a lot of these weak type languages will have this undefined type. Like, Python has none. Uh, I actually don't know about Ruby. There, I, yeah, but why doesn't everybody have a consistent value for null? There's none, nil, null. Well, so why there's, not certain, just no? there's cer- certain semantics that uh, play into that. But uh, the important thing is like that what some... decade the developers went to school in? No. No. Okay. Which... No, I'm no. serious because like I feel like older <laughs> no, developers but, uh, like would what, use nil. What, like what is old, the, old you're, people? You're focusing anyway. on the uh, less important thing here. The important thing here is the semantics of uh, when you declare a, a variable. If you don't set it to something, does it have a value? And uh, with uh, it being uh, defined but uh, no value uh, in weakly typed languages, that would be uh, that null. If it is undefined, that'd be that it doesn't exist. Certain languages, uh, they will just not run if it's not defined, but then it, so it doesn't have an undefined state. Will they both be allocated in memory either way? Like if you said variable equals null, does that actually allocate memory for a null spot also versus undefined? On the, where also it depends doesn't. on the language and for the case of JavaScript, the runtime. Interesting. Well, this person is uh, saying that there's a bug in React 16. Oh no, that's the new version for this week. Uh, in React 16, the callback function that is an optional parameter to the setState function is called and passed a value of null. Previously, in React 15, the function was called with a value of undefined. This change breaks the default parameters feature of JavaScript because the default parameters will actually use, under, uh, use null if it's... If, oh, sorry. The, def- the ES6 default parameter syntax, will it actually use null if it's passed as null versus ES6 just not ES7? counting as defined? ES6 plus Babel, at least. Hmm. I'm pretty sure it's standard ES6. But everything ES7's been... been a thing now, so it you know like what? it's no, an no, ES7. No, no, I'm going to say it is ES6 because I've used it on a site that didn't actually transpile it into anything. Huh. So well, that I just be... native... Well, if that's recent, it could be ES, ES7, though. That's true. It could, be, it could be Chrome adopting an ES7 runtime. But we're also losing ourselves and deviating from the semantics of the question, which is, I think this, I, I mean, what is, is, I don't, I mean, is this, is this a big deal? Is, it, is this a, like a major mistake? Did they, did, do you think semantically, like, the developers of React had a specific reason? Well, so they mentioned this is an alpha <laughs> that they were using, but, uh... oh. Well, oh yeah, broken behavior was observed in React 16 Alpha, yeah, Alpha 12 in React Native 0.45. I have replicated the issue in React 15.4, and it was working as expected. You know, Alpha software comes with this giant proviso, and even beta software does. Right. Don't expect but everything to work. Well, no, he's not. He's doing a bug report for the purpose of what you're supposed to use Alpha software for, is which is reporting bugs to the developers, so that way it can actually be tested in the field. So he's doing the right thing there. Okay. The issue My here, apologies. The issue here is they introduced a breaking change, a uh, quite abrupt one. So I'm sure it'll be fixed. And maybe they didn't actually think it was going to be that big of a deal, changing undefined to null. But so really, I guess that's enough it, to it break really the ES6 on, syntax. 
Well, no, it really depends on how you do your comparisons. If you do if this thing versus if this thing uh, does not equal undefined or null. So copy, well, it's a double equals versus so, like, triple equals. If you're equals. using like the uh, old CoffeeScript uh, preprocessor and you got that question mark, that handles it for you where it just says, is it undefined or null? Instead of, is it this? Because if you're just doing if this in JavaScript, that would actually uh, have right, but, uh, indeterminate... But he's uh, talking about the uh, default argument syntax in ES6. That is, that doesn't, uh-huh. there's, there's no, there's no conditional statements in that line of code. So if, there's no so conditional what, statements what in I'm that, line of, that specific line of code, but those conditional statements are that, then in a conditional elsewhere. So they're going to have if callback or if callback does not equal null. Equal, no. right, it, it's yeah. non-defined. I see what you're yeah. saying. Well, I mean, couldn't they just do a loose comparison versus a strict comparison? Because double the loose, equals, no, the loose comparison is where you get screwed. No, but what I'm saying is null versus undefined, they do double equal each other. But they don't strictly equal each other. Yeah, that's, so what, if, that's where you this, get screwed. I understand that, but what is this guy because doing can, where, where null messes up his whole stuff? Because you can explicitly set null if it was set previously. Which is, I, you know what, honestly, uh, I would say if the callback is called with null, that might be the correct behavior. I don't Just think because so. it's different, you don't think so? Nope. Because look... The optional parameter is called with the value of it's, null. It's different if something's undefined versus null. You're setting it to null in, in, in a particular case where you could be like you're, you're using the set state and you, you want to conditionally set it to either there is a call, callback or there's going to be null. Either way, that should be that it's null instead of saying yeah, but I didn't set anything. setting a blank object to the – Null is not undefined is the issue. I, I know that. I know that's the whole issue. But I'm saying, like, is this is a very wouldn't this be a very simple workaround for him? Is this actually an, is this actually a bug, or did somebody actually cause, make it a, can a cause many, in the code? Uh, so this is a bug that was found through alpha testing. This is probably somebody who actually develops on it. I don't. But know what for I'm sure. saying, my but, no, 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 my question. But what is, I am sh- what I'm saying is that uh, th- this does affect behavior of certain things using this particular feature. So things that are, it can either say like I take an array of callbacks and you can have null in there to say. Uh, this t- on like the fifth time I call this exact function that calls set state, I don't have a callback. But every single other time, I do have a callback. But when it's always null, then that goes away. But he's passing a blank object into it. Yes. And? When you loop through it, it would be null. It wouldn't be undefined. Not necessarily. My, the question that I have is perhaps it should be null. And the issue is that, yes, I understand it deviates from the prior prior editions of the code where people have kind of written it for this, but there's a chance that semantically it might be better as null versus undefined. I disagree. Okay. Well, let's move on. We're out of time to our next GitHub issue of the week. The next issue comes from Ohio NM. Oh, System D. I'm sorry. That was their (laughs) username. Excuse me. Uh, System D. It is change invalid syntax username response. Uh... Invalid username causing unit to fail to run at all. Or at least an option to make invalid username result in unit not running at all. So this unit has to be corrected before it runs. Uh, let's see. In case of bug report, unexpected behavior you saw. So user equals zero day or anything else, invalid become, becoming run as higher privilege being root. What's exactly the issue, Christian? So they're giving an invalid username and they're requesting that the syntax uh, uh, um, response, the invalid syntax response is changed from what it is currently to something a bit more clear. Uh, interestingly, with uh, the systemd community, at least when you deal with um, the creator, 
the uh, one English isn't his first language. Two, uh, he, he has had uh, like I've actually uh, posted issues in System D, and it's been oh, this is pretty clear. These undocumented uh, flags just set them, but yeah. oh well. But in this case, it's a matter of just the current uh, error message, and often these error messages are um, so are, are very uh, difficult to see, uh, well, understand rather. Uh, it there is also a uh, uh, well, somebody uh, posted an XKCD thing. I don't know if that's them chuckling or if that's serious. But right. So what I don't get is it says use user add standard mm. Unix user add command. Uh, to create a user starting with a number like zero, then attempt to use this name in a unit file and have it run as root when you were expecting it to run as a user without privilege. What's a unit file? So a unit file is uh, the systemd's way of uh, um, defining a particular uh, – what's the right word here? Uh, specific uh, services uh, – you can have like usually when you're defining a unit, you're defining a service. There are other things you can you have a unit for, like a job that you want to cron. You would then create a systemd timer for. Ah, that sounds very familiar. Mm-hmm. Hashtag DevOps dynasties. Um, what is it? So, uh, but is it that is it a real rule that a username starting with a number will be run as root? No, it's being interpreted as user zero, which is oh. root. Oh, well, that's really bad. Yeah. That's really bad. And user zero is root? Yes. Uh, okay. Well, with using Samba NT4 mode, okay. <laughs> I know that Etsy password can contain users starting with numbers because that is what Windows allows. Ah. I hit too many buttons. That sounded appropriate, though. <laughs> <laughs> it was the audience, me- uh, the audience meshing with the Mac startup chime, uh, because they're both the every my everything is laughing at uh, NT4 mode on Samba. Uh, on the various Linux distributions and various different require. Oh, sorry, I have to because, like you said, Eng- English isn't his first language. On the various Linux distributions, that's not this guy, but yeah, thanks. In, in various various different requirements are made on username validity. Some distros versions add user user add implementations have a stricter and others a more vague definition. This person needs punctuation of what a valid username is. For systemd services, the sake, for the sake of compatibility with all implementations, we are strict and require the values that are compatible with all Linux implementations. Okay. Uh... So what's it do? Really old unit files processed with a new, by new version with correct testing should be possible. Mm-hmm. So what's the solution? Is there a solution? Uh, Is there actually a bug? Well, they can the... actually change it. It's not an actual bug. This is a feature request. Oh. Yeah. But, I mean, if it's parsing, if you type user add user equals zero day and it thinks that you're adding a root user, that's, that's pretty bad. That's the uh, Samba and, and T4 issue there, but... Ah, okay, yeah. gotcha. Okay, never mind. Well, let's move on. We have a lot of stuff to get to. Our third GitHub issue of the week is from React Native. Oh, man. To React stuff? To React things in one week? Mm. Text input right padding is ignored on focus when changing the border color on Android. I can tell you the solution. It's because it's cause Facebook decided to re- rewrite CSS. But... You were... Uh, 
I, I can't. Well, this is also mobile, which uh, is a bit different. I know there's no CSS on mobile, but you know what? I mean, if they there's well, gotta be a way it, they it, could there interpret that. There is CSS, that. and it's used under the hood. Even worse, because you're not because like the 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 way that CSS and React jive together is really ridiculous. It that's, is because that, that's not that you're fighting the wrong battle here. Fighting the wrong battle. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh, let's see. Steps to reproduce. Note the padding on the right of the two text views. They have, an, they have a link here on GitHub. Uh, tap or click the second text input. Note that the text gets flushed to the right. Switch focus between the two text inputs. Note that the text, note the text stays flushed to the right. Input a single character. And note that the padding has been restored on the right. Switch focus between the text inputs. Note that the text input had the character input until the right, still is right padding. And there's no comments. Now, how much of a React Native issue do you actually think this is? Uh, I don't know. I kind of posted here for your thoughts. I wonder if this seems like more like pilot error? I think so. Honestly, because the, they give you very vanilla components, and mm-hmm. they expect you to customize them. I don't, I, don't entirely know, I don't entirely know if... I mean, this guy might have some handlers, event handlers, running on, on the input box when you focus in and when you focus out... There's a variety, there's so many different things and so many different layers that could be that could be messing this up. It's hard well, to say. Well, he does provide an example react. project. Okay, you want me to click on it? Uh, sure. It wants me to download the app to get started. Oh no, yeah. uh, nope. Custom text input. Custom text input extends React dot component. This dot okay. Focus set state has focus true. Style sheet dot create. I don't know. I don't know. Doesn't uh, this is this is pretty? It's not entirely vanilla, but it's not ridiculously custom either. I don't know. Mm. This is a really hard one to tell without actually you know sitting here and messing with it live on the air. Hmm. Um. Okay, let's move on to the next GitHub issue of the week. This issue is from Delve. Compilation mm-hmm. error, reference to undefined identifier, syscall.ptrace underscore peak user. This is from Arch Linux. Well, it's, to deal, with, of, it's to deal with Arch Linux. Ah, and that was the uh, version of Linux they used on All in the Family. Uh, get really? it? Because uh, no. that means two yeah. things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, compila- reference to undefined identifier. What's the... I don't even really know what this is. So... One, it Delve is a debugger for Go. Okay. Uh, the, they couldn't just make... Oh, never mind. Anyway. Well, you can also use GDB, but GDB doesn't understand Go routines or... Uh, gar- I was going to say, culture. why didn't they use something like Dive, but Delve is fine. Uh, okay. Go on. <sighs> they have so many of these pun names for Go. Anyway. <sighs> anyway, uh, so the issue that, that is such complaining about is a missing uh, syscall. And being that it's specifically on Arch Linux, it could be a different version of Arch Linux that la- lacks the ptrace uh, peak user syscall in its kernel, or it could be that it's using a weird version of the uh, uh, standard lib slash libc. But uh, um, what, uh, what it's uh, or it's actually probably kernel. Just, uh, looking from the Go version, I don't think it even uses libc under the hood anymore. But uh, 
where I was going with this is the fact that it could also be uh, based on uh, his app armor profile or his sec uh, comp that uh, he or this per- I should say this person that he uh, this person can't access uh, the ptrace libraries because ptrace is a heavily uh, guarded uh, feature in uh, operating systems that allow you to attach to a process to uh, debug it or Hence do the mo- name or do, or do malicious things to it. So uh, this could be either just erring on the specific syscall, which is the ability to see which user is uh, running that process, or it's uh, uh, failing on this because all of Ptrace is not accessible, or Ptrace is just not present on Arch because Arch is such a lightweight uh, distro. Interesting. So it's... What's this? Is there a solution? It's definitely not the kernel issue. I'm looking at the Arch version right now. It's definitely not a kernel issue. Interesting. So, what do you do to get around this? Well, it is pilot error, and it could uh, it could be that you just need to install Ptrace on Arch, which Arch has Pacman to uh, as its package manager. Uh, That's a cool name. You could also just curl install binaries, I imagine, but uh, also involve a kernel module for this one. But um, uh, other than that, uh, it could be, and it'd be interesting to see that um, it would if you don't have Ptrace, it's not so used a debugger is rendered fairly uh di- diminished if you don't have ptrace uh you could i believe do the it starts as a child process and attach to it still i'm not 100 percent on that this wouldn't be something standard that's like part of linux ptrace yeah yeah it's a standard thing of uh unix it's very locked down though because usually on production systems you set it to i think it's a value of three in the uh, sysctl um parameters and as long as you do that on boot then it's impossible to ever uh enable ptrace at all on uh that machine and that's what like, it give this when kind you of production error, machines no this is saying that i it can't find the uh actual sys uh, syscall in the kernel now, why is that though? This if could it's be pilot error. Did they mistype it, it? It could be that it, this is uh, requiring uh, uh, libc, and he has a weird version of libc that doesn't have that, or it's just not present in Arch at the moment. So it could be that he needs to install it, or it could be that his ptrace is set to three, and uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if this would actually be the behavior, but it wouldn't be able to compile it. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, and our last GitHub issue of the week. A lot of JavaScript stuff. This one comes from Express. Why do I need to enter an enter button on terminal and then give response to get my get request randomly? Exclamation point question mark. Can anyone help me when my Express server... Okay. When my Express server has no response when to I make fair, a get request... To be fair, using a lot of exclamation points, so... That's why I yelled it like that. When I make a get request, well, it gives a response when I hit the enter button. Uh, no, why, why, why my Express server has no response when I make a GET request while I give it a response when I hit the ENTER button? While it gives a response when I hit the ENTER button. Uh, autocorrecting grammar. Uh, let's see. I'm sorry, uh, user. I have no idea what the question is. Can you provide more information? Uh, when I make a GET request with Python... Sorry. When I make a GET request with Python import requests... Or, or uh, oh, import requests lib or Chrome HTML request, the Express server will be blocked occasionally. Then it will work when I press enter on the terminal window. It works well, mostly. And then they replied, I'm sorry, I still have no idea what your question is. 
I think that's the pretty heart. <laughs> that's heart. Heart react. That's like okay. That's kind of funny. But at the same time, I mean, that's a pretty straightforward question. He has to hit enter on the terminal screen that's running Node slash Express, mm-hmm. and to get a response out of the server. Yeah, but. It's still the, it very dependent on the code he has. If I had to guess, it's looking for some kind of uh, hardware interrupt before it actually uh, uh, reacts to the request. That's true. It could, I mean, that could be like it, that could be the he could be on an old version of Node. Maybe he could be on an. Odd I don't think it's old version of Node. I think he's uh, got some word code in there somewhere. You think it's code yeah. that would require like you, either either. Can he's, you uh, actually do that in Express? Well, in, Express, Java, in Node in JavaScript in Node. Like, uh yeah, you have access to all of um the BUV, so you just have to know the right device to uh, actually have so, the uh, FS listener on. Right, you'd have to like really try to mess that up in order to get Express to act this way, wouldn't you? If you if, if it was his code, this person's code, or it could be like some weird signal thing too going on. But yeah, yeah. Well, or or it could just be like resources are maxed out, like a. Like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's possible. That's yeah. true. It could just be like out of disk space. Hit enter. Oh, <clears throat> enter. Out of disk space. I thought I just hit enter. I don't know. Oh, um, so there was a new comment just now on uh, the System D one. And what's that? This just in. A new comment on a GitHub issue. Tell us what it is, Christian. If an administrator puts user equals something into a unit file... It's because the administrator wants the unit to start with as users uh, equals something. The, the, that is the point of a declarative unit file. The, the administrator has declared that they want that the unit to run as a particular user. If the unit file cannot be started as a user something, then the unit should fail to start. That, that is the only form of validation that should be performed on the username. It is completely irrelevant if something appears to be a valid username or not. Huh. So this person was wrong? Let's see. Uh, it would appear to be the... Uh, so, this this makes sense. I agree with this uh, uh, idea that it is actually a, a, a poorly configured uh, service, so the service should not start. It is it, it, If it's a valid user, it's a valid user. But it, if it's uh, not... If it's an invalid user, then it shouldn't be that Systemd handles this uh, validation any further than it already does. It should just be, all right, uh, this service isn't working. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's been a very nice GitHub issue. Mon- montage. GitHub issues. Fine, I'll play the music again. That's been a really good GitHub issue of the week. The, th- the music will eventually get old. That's why I don't want to do it every time. But, anyway. Uh, so now, uh, we would do our plus ones, but Tyler isn't here. Uh, and unfortunately, he hasn't left any of uh, any ones for us to go over, so that's totally fine. Uh, we'll have to give. We'll have to make it a plus two next week. <laughs> <laughs> a little quicker next time, audience. It'd be better. Uh, anyway, let's uh, let's move on with our continuing kafefe of Theresa May killing the murdering the internet. I believe it's let's pronounced kafefe. It. Sorry. I believe it's pronounced kafefe. That's what I said. You said Kavefe. Killed the momentum of my whole thing. I was trying to build it up and have a tongue-in-cheek Kavefe reference, but I couldn't do it because you just sucked the air out of the balloon right now. Yep. <sighs> <laughs> okay. 
Well, it's time for our continuing covefe of Theresa May murdering the internet. Let's hear it from our news department. Nobody presents news to you. I don't think she did anything this week. There was this Five Eyes meeting, actually, in Canada. And I found it on Canada's website, because why would we report anything like that? Uh, you know who the Canada. Five Eyes are? Blame Canada. Uh, let's see. Um, Five countries speak oh, English. I, I, I was assuming it was going to be uh, Drake, Justin Bieber, um, Seth Rogen, uh, Greg Kinnear. Uh, who's, an, who's another Canadian? <laughs> no. The Five Eyes are uh, an, uh, an allegiance of countries. They're five uh, English-speaking former Commonwealth countries. I guess I think four of them are still Commonwealth. You've got United States, of course, England, New Zealand, Australia, and Canada. And the Five Eyes, all eyes, E-Y-E-S, uh, all share intelligence information with each other and surveil on all the, their citizens and then share that information. And uh, they had a meeting uh, a few days ago, and uh, Theresa May went. Um, actually, I don't know. I shouldn't say that she went. Maybe her one of her ministers went. I should have figured that out. Anyway, the Five Eyes had something Lord to Helmet? say. No. They had something to say about cybersecurity and encryption, uh, which is ministers and attorneys general noted their concerns with recent cyber events that have affected various institutions and individuals in all of our countries. The WannaCry ransom attack, which began on May the 12th and impacted individuals in over 150 countries, is an unfortunate reminder that cyber attacks are increasing. To address cybersecurity threats, we note the robust cooperation underway between our five countries on cyber issues and note our collective efforts to study and assess key emerging issues and trends in cybersecurity to prevent, detect, and respond to cyber threats. Encryption. Ministers and attorneys general also noted that encryption can severely undermine public safety efforts by impeding lawful access to the content and communications during investigations into serious crimes, including terrorism. To address these issues, we committed to develop our engagement with communications and technology companies to explore shared solutions while upholding cybersecurity and individual rights and freedoms. Like, that's not a mutually exclusive sentence. Oxymoronic. So, it sounds like the uh, powers that be are trying to figure out how to outlaw encryption without making everything snoopable and have everything just get stolen, which, because of the number of things that rely on encryption now, that's what's going to happen. The government can't even keep their own stuff secure, and they've invested more money on encryption than anybody on Earth. Christian? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I mean, yes, that is a fact. I don't... <laughs> right, okay uh, Let's see um, Yeah, well, no, it's just I, know, I mean, I know, it, I know it's nothing new But this is, this is just another place Where it's uttered, you know Terrorists can't have a safe space on the internet uh, England needs to be the safest spot on the internet For everybody These are realities that uh, Sorry, these aren't realities The reality is that anybody can access the internet and anybody can perform encryption because it's math. Anybody with a reasonably fast computer, or really any computer made this century, 
can do all the encryption to hide their messages and everything else. So when the real stuff happens, you're, you won't know. And, and, and the more that people, and when I say people, I mean politicians and governments, try to make backdoors and encryption and try to ruin our computer security, more things will get stolen, but it won't stop the criminals. Just like outlawing guns and pot and software piracy. It won't stop the criminals from doing it, but it stops the honest people. Well, you know what solves it? Selling guns at liquor stores in the state of Florida, apparently. Is that true? <laughs> I would imagine so. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, I'm going to Florida in a few <laughs> days. Oh, don't remind me. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, you want me to come back with some guns and prescription drugs? Uh, no, I don't think you're allowed to leave the state with them. I just think that is something that's required, oh. to, live, required to exist in the state for a period of time. That's right. If you want to be high on bath salt shooting anybody, move to Florida. <laughs> Florida, where you get a gun five seconds into being in the state border. I, I've been saying that they hand out, uh, they've been handing out Kevlar at the airport when you get off the plane. You're on the jetway, they just like throw you a vest. There you go. There you go. But, I, I, uh, I heard they give you, a, uh, instead of those mints on your pillow in the hotels, they give you meth. That would be... That would be funny. Um, yeah. I mean, yes, I am actually going to Florida in a few days, and it's... I haven't been there in three years, and I haven't missed it at all. At all. Maybe I miss Publix. That's about it. Publix is the grocery store in Florida. Hmm. Anyway. Every, every region of the country has their own grocery store that they love the best. On Long Island, what did you have? Wegmans? or um, No, Wegmans only wait, wait, exists uh, outside Wal-Bums. of... Wahlbums was okay. It wasn't anything fancy. Uh, my favorites were always Whole Foods and Fairway uh, towards the end of me living in Long Island. They had Fairway on Long Island? Yeah, uh, in the uh, um, what used to be a very Jewish area that became a very uh, um, Asian area. Massapequa? No, uh, Syosset. Oh, okay. Yeah. I also know someone from Syosset. Anyway, um, okay. Well, let's, uh, let's get back on the road here uh, about while Theresa May hasn't murdered the internet yet... Members of the EU are trying to take pot shots at tech giants stateside. The EU, this past week, levied a billion, multi-billion dollar fine to Google because they say they're not treating Europeans fairly. For more, let's turn to myself in our news department. No Mario presents news to you. Brussels, June 27th. Whenever the mismanagement loans of European masochists called the EU need money, they turn first to American titans of tech. Perpetually buttered over a burdensome regulatory climate, one that's prevented a Silicon Valley-style technology revolution across the old world, politicians in Brussels spare no expense, levying unreasonable and ridiculous fines on well-to-do American companies. The latest ridiculous fine was levied to Google for a staggering 2.4 billion euros, or 80 kajillion dollars, over the value and vague accusation that their shopping service unfairly targets American companies rather than, and I quote, much better European ones. What may have been originally been just a factor of their complex algorithms may now become a multi-billion dollar headache as Google tries once again to appease perpetually pissed off politicians. And so many Americans are afraid of what happens next. We at least know the world still times in the truth marches on. 
And that's why this has been News to Use. Brought to you by Pneumonia. $2.4 billion. <laughs> Sorry, be. euros, which is 80 kajillion American dollars. No, it's about uh, $2.73 billion. Um... And uh, over the and I, like, I've seen this happen. My I shouldn't, shouldn't say my entire life. Half of my entire life, whether it was Microsoft in two thousand, whether it was Microsoft in two thousand three, and Microsoft in two thousand five, <laughs> <laughs> and then Google. Once now, Google is becoming the next Microsoft. As I've been saying well, that since before, then. Before these guys, Bell Labs. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. Whenever Europe needs money. And they look over to us, and we've got these companies they wish they had. They try to just poke the bear a little bit and see what they can see what falls out of the pinata. And uh, Google, I mean, two, $2 billion is a lot of money no matter who you are. And I, it, it's, I, I was trying to figure out exactly what regulation they, they violated, what rule they broke. And it just, the only thing I could find, it says it unfairly targets. American, their shopping service, Google Shopping in Europe, unfairly targets American companies instead of, I guess, much better European companies. And I don't know. I don't know what to say about that other than perhaps there should be, I don't know, some other European shopping service to compete with Google. Hmm. Why does Google, an American company, have to appease every? I guess if they want to do business in their country, they kind of have to. Yep. But... But... What if they were to also mathematically prove that based on their algorithm that, that uh, the American companies are the ones that are, are being uh, that are being favored due to math, as in they are the most traffic sites, they are the most SEO optimized, they are the ones that are also a part of like the Google whatever like you actually pay into it. Right, right, right. Um, and they might have better products or cheaper. Probably not. No. Well, cheaper maybe. Better. Who knows. But the thing is, is that, I mean, this is just like when, uh, when the EU wants Microsoft to have the browser ballot on the, you know, on, on the operating systems that they don't make. Why don't you use a, a, a European operating system then? I don't know. I, 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 just, I guess technically Linux is European. Yeah. And where's their browser ballot? They don't have one because then nobody cares. Mac OS has the same exact problem that Microsoft did. Nobody cares. Just you know, the EU just likes the big boys because they they can give the most amount of money, the most amount of checks, and the fewest amount of uh, court hurdles. And I don't know. That's all that I see with this. When you look at the fact that Brussels has asked uh, England, the UK, to pay twenty billion dollars uh, that they quote unquote owe, so they can get out, and now they're looking. Now they need this, and they're at constantly out of money. The EU is sinking. I don't know. I don't know. There's definitely more to meets the, that meets the eye on this one. But, uh, here, this is from the New York Times. By levying the fine against Google, more than double the previous largest penalty in this type of antitrust case, Margaret, Margaret, T-H-E, uh, Vestager, the European Union's antitrust chief, also laid claim to being the Western world's most active regulator of digital services, an industry still dominated by Silicon Valley. Quote, in Europe, companies must compete on the merits of regardless of if they're European or not, she said on Tuesday. What Google has done is illegal under EU antitrust rules that we just wrote so we could sue Google. The apparent focus on Silicon Valley has prompted accusations from some in the United States that the European Union is unfairly targeting American companies. Yeah, like me. 
Uh, officials, uh, officials in the block vigorously deny those assertions. Right. Still in recent years, Ms. Vestager has demanded that Apple pay, repay $14.5 billion in back taxes in Ireland, organize, open an investigation into Amazon's tax practices in Europe, and raise concerns about Facebook's gathering and handling of data. These companies n- deny any wrong... Excuse me, I thought I could contain that burp. Mm. Those companies contain, deny any wrongdoing. By the way, because of the burp, the real talented radio professionals can hold it in, and you just hear them straining while they're trying to get hit the commercial break so they can belch. And I don't know which is worse. You hear someone just go on the air, or if you listen to somebody going, It's still in recent years, Ms. Vestager, it's a man. Apple repaid $14.5 billion. Hold on a second. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know which is... Right. Thanks, Rush Limbaugh. That was actually Rush Limbaugh. I know. Where, where did that's you hear said, that? Th- that's why I said thanks for Rush Limbaugh. No, but I mean, like, the, I actually heard a bit of him doing that. Where did you hear that? That's just Rush Limbaugh. He always oh, sounds well, like that. Well, that is Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> he always sounds I like just heard, I heard so much. I heard so much. Me, goddamn Obama. Yeah, oh. it, it just sounds like he's always holding in gas in one direction. I got a, I got a time I farts and I hit the top of the hour. Okay. Uh, an earlier New York Times article... Um, they got the number, the figure for the fee wrong because it was it hadn't been levied yet. They said it said Google said to face one point two billion. It was actually double that. But um, what is it? Google, which has repeatedly said that it has not done anything illegal, said that it continued to work with the region's authorities on the antitrust investigation, which began in twenty ten. Quote, we believe strongly that our innovations in online shopping have been good for shoppers, retailers, and competition, Al Varney, a company company spokesperson, said in a statement. The coming announcement against giant Google represents a watershed moment for the search giant, bad writing, which holds more than 90% of the market in online search across Europe. However, the potential fine represents a mere fraction of the company's $90.3 billion in revenue in 2016. And I'm sure... That's where they got. That's how the fine somehow doubled from 1.2 billion to 2.4 billion. They got Google's quarterly earnings, and they're like, "Ah, looks like these guys could afford it." But I don't know. How do you feel about this, Christian? Uh, I think this is some political thing. I have no real opinion on, to be honest. But you don't. Do you? I mean, you do you like it when when successful American companies? Uh, I, targeted by I, the EU for a I random personally fine. feel the government should not be involved with companies at all. Okay, well, that wouldn't that be nice? But it's not going to happen, especially as governments and companies get bigger and people I mean, from companies you know, infiltrate you know me, the government. I, I believe government is, in its current state it, uh, should not exist and should be actually uh, be automated away. Well, that would be nice, but that's that can't happen because too many people have different opinions and too many people want to kill other people. Yeah, but you need, then you need some logic, kind of management. But, yeah. But yeah, anyway. Okay, moving on. Uh, Google had... That was the EU uh, trouble. Google had another setback. Uh, what happened to my tab? Uh, in, in Canada? Where'd it go? Did I not... I don't know what happened. Yeah, I got it. No, I, I have these all pulled up. Google can be forced to pull results globally, Canada Supreme Court rules. Okay, why don't you read it? Canadian courts can force Google... Why are you just reading the website, Christian? Haven't you highlighted it? Jesus Christ. (laughs) I'm 
kidding. Um, to remove results worldwide, the country's top court has ruled in decision criticized by civil liberty groups that argue a su- such a move sets a precedent for censorship on the internet, which I would agree it does. That's and, right. And yeah. it's seven, two decision. Canada's Supreme court found that a court in, a, in the country can drag. Ah. Canada's Supreme court found that a court in the country can grant an injunction preventing conduct anywhere in the world. Yeah. Right. When it is necessary to ensure the injunction injunctions effectiveness. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, I, I bet they could have done this before anyone in the world could have heard them do it. Anyone in the world who can hear my voice, which is ten feet away. Uh, the Internet has no borders. Its natural habitat is global, the Supreme Court wrote in its judgment. Quote, the only way to ensure the interlocutory injunction attained in, this, in its objective was to have it apply where Google operates everywhere. Wow. So the one thing is at a certain point, though, like this doesn't. I, I really never understand legislation on the internet because it really there's always a way around it. One, two, it really makes absolutely no sense. It's not Canada's place. It's not any government's place. No. Oh well. I, I mean, it. The case stems from claims made by Equustech. Wow, that is Equus. E Q U U S Tech Solutions. <laughs> A small technology company in British Columbia that manufactures network devices uh, relabeled one of its products and sold it online and acquired trade secrets to design and manufacture a competing product. Uh, in 2012, Equus Tech asked Google to remove dataling search results until the case against the company was resolved. While Google removed over 300 specific web pages associated with Datalink, it only did so in the Canadian version of its search engine. The Supreme Court of British Columbia subsequently ordered Google to stop displaying search results in any country for any part of Datalink's websites. And this is something that's been going on again in the EU for many years. Uh, people want the right to delete. People want the right to not exist or to be del- or to, uh, to be erased if they so choose. I don't know. You, I mean, it, re- removing I... something that's on the internet but is only really accessible via a search engine and there are other search engines, I, I, don't, I don't see why... My opinion is it's the internet, don't be stupid. And well, it's not. Stupid. It's not just don't be stupid. But if a website no, it's, exists, it's don't it exists, be stupid. and it'll be found by some bot, whether it's Google or someone else. Right. If they said remove all the pages of data link from Google, okay, let me just go to Bing.ca. Let me just go to Yahoo.ca. Even though Microsoft provides the search results to Yahoo now, but like, why do they think that they can just remove it from the the listing well, and, and it's wh- gone? But no, it is don't be stupid. Why, why target Google? Because that website still exists. And even if that website biggest. is taken down, then it's archived. And if you are targeting Google, then all they can do is they can remove that link, which, okay, that doesn't do anything. Literally does nothing. Well, no, if, you're, if, you, if you believe that the internet is only accessible through sites you can search with through Google, then... Yes, that is removing it from the internet. If they also, if they send an, in, if they send a request to every search engine ever, and then send a request to where the sites are hosted and ask those sites to be taken down, and everybody complied, which can't happen realistically, uh, then they'd have something. But just to be like, oh, company A is suing company B. Company A said, can you take company B's stuff off of Google? And, and Google said, okay, but only in Canada. No, we want it everywhere. Well, you only have jurisdiction in Canada. No, we don't. We have the whole world can hear us. Can't you, world? No. I don't know. 
I, I've been I've been wondering also about things like this. <laughs> yeah, are they just trying to get more press and try to sound like the Europeans? Is that is that what it is? I mean, I don't know. There's only so much that complaining they can do with data caps on their internet access. <laughs> Hmm. That was that was a uh, that was a fail. The sound sound effects. Anyway, so what happens when we do a Monday show? I have a Monday vibe. I don't have Moving the Sunday on. vibe. Moving on. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay, China uncovers a massive underground network of Apple employees selling customers personal data. Uh, wait a second. Where'd it go? You know, I have these highlights, and they, you know, they go away sometimes, and then they pull up, and they don't actually highlight the page. Really, really pain in the ass. Um, okay. Uh, Chinese authorities say they have uncovered a massive underground operation involving the sale of Apple users' personal data. 22 people have been detained on suspicion of infringing individuals' privacy and illegally obtaining their digital personal information, according to a statement Wednesday from police in southern Zhenjiang province. Of the 22 suspects, 20 were employees of an Apple, quote, domestic direct sales company and outsourcing company. The suspects allegedly used an internal company computer system to gather users' names, phone numbers, Apple IDs, and other data, which they sold as part of a scam worth more than 50 million won, or $7.36 million. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... They had access to it, which shame on them and shame on Apple there, but, yeah. I guess Apple needs to get better about personal information security, though it depends. It doesn't really go into detail as to how the information was acquired. This could be some kind of social networking hack that Apple really can't be responsible for because it's an outsourced company that somehow that has just enough information to call people and get more information out of them with social engineering. I don't be, know. Yeah. Or... Or it is Apple just messed up, majorly messed up with who has access to the information, how many levels, degrees of separation can it have. Uh, which is honestly surprising for a company that is so entrenched in secrecy like they are. The, yeah, the, su- the suspects allegedly charged between 10 won and 180 won uh, for prices of the illegally extracted data. Hmm. Which is a, a buck 50 and uh, 26 50. Uh, the sale of personal information is common in China, which implemented on June 1st a new controversial cybersecurity law aimed at protecting the country's networks and private user information. Oh, just like everybody else. Something, something's going on. Something is definitely going on, but... Oh, you mean the internet? Well, that there seems to be a, de- a decentralized yet somehow still coordinated global effort to really spy on and regulate the internet... And yeah, we've been saying the Wild yeah, West of the internet, the internet is over. Nah, we say the Wild West of the internet is over. This is it ending. I, I, I doubt I, by the I, end I of the century. I, I Sorry, I doubt by the end of the decade we'll have the freedoms that we even think of today. I disagree. I think you find ways around it. Smart people always find ways around it. Like I said, these rules don't hurt criminals. They only hurt the good-natured people that want to follow the rules. So don't follow the rules. Just don't get caught. Uh, anyway, like these people, except they got caught stealing information and they're going to jail. Don't get caught. Don't be stupid. <laughs> Some real talk. Anyway, right, Christian? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't get caught. Don't be stupid. Don't snitch. All right. Anyway, uh, um, uh, let's see. This, that was from the Hong Kong Free Press, by the way. Uh, 
They, it also didn't mention if it was just like Chinese customers' information or if it was anybody's customer, all, all of Apple's customer information. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Anyway, uh, I'm curious about this next story we have about the vandals keep, uh, snipping fiber optic cables in California. Oh, yes. Well, since we've been talking a lot about uh, California-based companies, let's talk about something that happened California. in California. Vandals keep snipping fiber optic cables in California with impunity. A 1,200-foot cable run required 192 pairs of fiber to be refused, AT&T said, much like how AT&T refuses customer service to all of its customers. So, oh! I wonder how much of this is uh, San Francisco, quote-unquote, natives uh, wanting tech companies out. Uh, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised. There's also, and I'll, I'll get to this in a second, it could also be a left-wing political group. But let's dig in. Vandals snipped another fiber optic cable line in the San Francisco Bay Area this week, the 12th incident of its kind in the region over the past year. The latest attack occurred in San Joaquin Valley town of Stockton, disrupting internet, mobile phone, and 911 service for tens of thousands of AT&T and Verizon customers in three counties east of San Francisco. Service was restored about a day after the Tuesday event. The FBI, which is investigating the attacks, has not stated a motive, but it said the attacks usually occur in remote areas where there are no security cameras present. Uh, And the attacks began in July 2014. Now, oh, that, that long ago, wow. That's when they started, and they've been going on for three whole years. Now, there's a chance... This was interesting. One of the information warfare... One of the information wars, not to be confused with info wars, as Alex Jones' channel. One of the information wars that are going on right now are people on internet forums and the bowels of the internet turning... Sto- co-opting news stories and reformulating them into something else that's, that goes viral. For instance, they took what I just told you and turned it into a story. When I say they, I mean 4chan, but I love you guys, 4chan. Uh, they took, a, they took the, that story I just told you and they turned it into a piece about Antifa, the, the leftist anti-fascist organization that has been doing many fascist things uh, lately. So there's this article that says fiber optic cable sabotage continues into California. And... It has a giant header at the top because it says this article was about a wave of sabotage into fiber optic cables uh, that's three years old and was reblogged from Earth First Journal, which is fake news. Recently, however, alt-right trolls behind the face account official Antifa have tweeted this link out in an effort to connect it to the real Antifa. This was then picked up by the neo-Nazi Twitter account of Paul, the 4chan message board. I wouldn't call them neo-Nazis. They're just massive trolls. Uh, Then it was, quote, reported on the Gateway Pundit, an alt-light pro-Trump blog. These idiots keep falling over themselves in a rush to reblog the other's BS. I can tell this person was really pissed off and uh, doesn't know how to eloquently express themselves online. But they did underscore a very interesting, a salient point, which is that this story has been co-opted by people on 4chan to make it seem like that leftist organization Antifa is cutting internet access to people in San Francisco. Uh, I'm still convinced it's just the quote-unquote natives trying to get tech companies out. They really hate techies with a passion. I mean, they did, you know, triple the cost of living in 20 years. Yeah. Oh, well. I, if, I mean, don't you say, oh, well, but, you know, think about if it forced out your family on Long Island, if that happened to you. How would you feel? They're being forced out by taxes anyway. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So right. So then, won't you uh, want to cut the Cablevision internet service? You might actually make it no. better. No. Oh! Well, yeah, probably, but no. Oh, yeah. Don't don't do malicious things. Okay. Uh, moving on. Uh, there was this article on DNS typo squatting, but let's skip it. Because I think we've agreed it's kind of not really a story, even though well, it was a, re- also, a recent it's article. A, it's the more basic version of bit, uh, bit squatting, so, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. DNS typo squatting is basically just buying almost the right domain on the internet, like Google with two L's. Mm-hmm. Dot and com. so bit, bit squatting is the idea that the uh, char- uh, any one character in the um, uh, uh, domain name is actually uh, er- errors on uh, a physics level, and the bit flips. So then all of a sudden, uh, the ASCII value of an A becomes the ASCII value of a B. Wow, that's actually, that's actually interesting. Why wasn't this article about that? Because this person's not that smart. But, oh, well, uh, that's actually, I actually really like that one. There's also another one where you can replace where, because Unicode is allowed in URLs now, you can replace, there's like the, a G that so doesn't really look like the a thing, G. The thing about Unicode being allowed in URLs, though, very few DNS servers support it, and even fewer resolvers support it. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And but there is I, that I, thing where there's yeah. like another G that looks like the un, that looks like a G, but it's actually just Unicode. And there, some, there, and some, in fact, some, actually, that... that Interestingly, that breaks uh, some uh, proposals coming through for uh, certain things. Well, this person has like a porn storm website if you somehow manage to stumble on it. I don't know how. Probably through a phishing attack and email. That's that's how I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. Anyway. um, Yeah, so uh, by almost correct domains, you you might be able to make a buck. Or, like you said, much more interesting, wait for the, the random chance of... How often does that actually happen? Well, so it depends on the situation because if it's the resolver, uh, the, the idea of the resolver uh, encountering this issue is very unlikely because the resolver is probably running on a server somewhere using ECC RAM, so error correcting RAM, so that that bit won't, won't flip. And the DNS servers are also likely on that. But then your uh, client computer, it um, so, so uh, some things actually handle uh, the error correction in consumer end computers but if you're running like an old laptop or some uh, or like a just old computer period there is a chance that you could send uh ask for google and get hoogle wow yeah so it's always the next letter because it's one bit higher i guess it's either one bit higher or one bit lower but uh it's also it could be within uh the byte itself it could be a particular bit flipped so it could be a whole different letter but it's just uh within uh the four, four bits uh one could flip and have a different value or uh wow. actually, uh how long is a uh, uh what is the size of a uh, character uh, i think is that uh, four it, 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 i um, think i think unicode is uh double byte well, Unicode, yes, bits. but uh, if you, uh, you're actually doing the DNS query, that would be uh, trying to think. Um, let's see, uh, it's going to be one byte if, uh, for a character. So eight bits. Yep. Interesting. Oh, right, and the double byte encoding would be sixteen. Yep. For right, why did I say two? Anyway, um, okay. Well, you know what? We're uh, just at an hour right now. Why don't we take a break? And, uh, read one of our wonderful house ads. Say, friends, do you live in New York City? Well, if you do, Pneumonium has a beautiful new product for you. 
It's called Where Am I? Your five-ball compass navigator to help you get anywhere from Staten Island to the Bronx. Simply go to www.whereami.nyc and enable location services on your mobile device to find the closest neighborhood, borough, and free subway stops to you wherever you are. No ads, no tracking, just geospatial brilliance. That's Where Am I? Brought to you by Pneumonium. Pneumonium, reinventing media daily. It's a nice I break. What did you do during that the break? In a while. I know. What did you do during the break? I meditated. Oh, nice. Yep. I, I, need, I need to get into that, especially because I'm about to spend a week in Florida with my family, and uh, my, uh, my parents are at the age that Jewish New Yorkers are supposed to move to Florida anyway, so trying to get them out is not going to happen. <laughs> my mom is turning 60. She'll officially be a Yenta, so I'm going to get her some Mahjong and bingo for her birthday. <laughs> nice. Um... Yeah, anyway, um, okay. A few more stories, a couple more stories left. Uh, let's do... LEDs leaking sensitive data uh, via malware. Which was... No? You know what? Well, Something like really messed the uh, ordering up of my stuff. Huh. Okay, malware-infected router leaks sensitive data through LEDs, experiment shows... Let me turn on the... Oh, it's just an experiment. Is this, like, uh, there's an activity thing that'll actually show the, uh, the uh, bits coming through on the yes. LED? Yeah. Well, if, it, if it's hijacked with malware, and there's uh, the malware they call XLED, uh, and they have a video, which we can't play because it's the radio, but it shows how it can turn any, any system of LEDs into a thing that can exfiltrate data, and then you have a camera behind it that reads the LEDs and interprets the data. And... Uh, it allows people to get through air gaps and systems, which is, I guess, in order for it to actually work, you'd have to have a camera pointed in such a way that you could easily see the service LEDs, which wouldn't really happen realistically. Well, you'd be surprised. I mean, have you heard of I would of, be um, surprised. Uh, what was the name of it? It was an attack in, uh, against Pakistan. What was it? Uh, cyber attack. Is that Stuxnet? Yes, Stuxnet. That was done in a non-internet connected... Uh, a um, bunch of computers that were actually running the software on particular industrial uh, hardware. Ah. Yeah. Well, this is uh, researchers from the Cybersecurity Research Center in Ben-Gurion University of the, ne- uh, of the Negev in Israel, not to be confused with Ben-Gurion Airport, uh, has a, in Tel Aviv, I think, uh, has uh, a new data exfiltration scenario based on router LEDs as part of their long history of research into hacking techniques on air-gapped systems. Uh, strictly for experimental purposes, they created a new type of malicious code named XLED that, once installed on network equipment such as a router or LAN switch, uses the LEDs to withdraw data and send it in binary form to a hacker. Our experiment shows that sensitive data can be covertly leaked via the status LEDs of switches and routers at bit rates of 10 bits per second to more than a kilobit per second per LED. The hacker then uses remote slow, video actually. recording... Well, it's an LED. It has to toggle on and off. The yeah, hacker... but if you've got a high enough speed camera. Well, here. The hacker then uses remote video recording devices like optical sensors, CCTV, or smartphone cameras to collect the information. Because optical sensors can use, be used at a much faster frame rate than average cameras, they deliver the best results, extracting, extracting data at about 1,000 bits per second per LED. Hmm. I, don't, I mean, I don't know how much this can practically work. 
If you think about a security camera, it's like in the corner of a room. You have your giant rack of stuff in the middle of the room with the distortion and everything like that. I don't know how you'd be able to read all the LEDs properly. Yeah, it doesn't seem practical. But definitely possible. And because this is a university paper, that's really all that you need. So, um, Mm. yeah. And and they have a video on the site that shows them how to uh, exfiltrate data on a home router. They use a TP-Link home router in this example. Yeah. Those Israelis, they make good stuff. Mm. Um, Their hummus is good. I'll give them that. Oh, come on. Uh, Israelis make very good food. And farm a surprising amount for being mostly in the desert. Um, okay. Let's, did I just close the next uh, thing? No. Let's move to a travel laptop setup. Yeah, since I'm traveling soon. Uh, if you go to... Oh, this is interesting. Uh, so we've um, considered this uh, where I work uh, as well. Of to um, how to handle uh, sensitive data. Sensitive data when you're crossing sensitive borders yes. into countries that may not like encryption. And right, which also includes ours currently. But uh, uh, well, I mean, it's from, always if been coming that from way. Mexico. Actually. No, but I mean, any any encryption. Like I've had friends that worked on software that used uh, high end encryption that they you know it had export rules and stuff because it is technically like a military instrument at that point. Well, yeah. So uh, like our rule is that we have to have. Our uh, home uh, uh, mount uh, encrypted. I have full disk encryption just because I did it. Like I didn't even think about it. It's like something I do every time I get a new laptop. But uh, that that is our rule: is just make sure your disk is encrypted because that way they need a password out of you to be able to actually see anything on your computer. Well, it's a good thing that you said that because unfortunately they advise against exactly specifically that in this really? article. Yes. It says, China is not a signatory to the personal use exemption when it comes to encrypted devices. Personal use exemption are a group of countries that have allowed you to have encryption on your device. China is not one of them. So bringing in a laptop with an encrypted hard drive with uh, with an encrypted hard drive is not technically legal. If the border officer does not like you for some reason and has grounds to suspect that that you are not being truthful about your stated reasons for entering China, you may be asked to decrypt your devices for a search. Failure to do so may result in unpleasantness to start, and you may be detained or fined merely on the grounds of having an encrypted device when entering the country, as opposed to, for example, entering a country that is a signatory to the personal use exemption, where just having an encrypted device is not any grounds for legal action. That said, it is never in your interest to make the border officer officer not, I almost said it like in the oh hello way, officer, uh, 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 not like you for some reason. So we do have, uh, and we haven't had a need for it yet. We have a uh, public use laptop that uh, ah, is the. Plan. There you go, and that's what they advise. Uh, they, but really quickly, it says it's important to note that you are extremely unlikely to be penalized for bringing an encrypted laptop into China, as any widespread zealous application of such practice would quickly shut down any business travel. And, it's def- and that is definitely not in the government's interest. So, again, they're kind of straddling two very absolutist views of technology and economy. Um, the best thing they say is bring a disposable laptop or a public laptop uh, or, you know, a Chromebook. Chrome OS user storage is encrypted. So the best course of action is to, to do a full factory wipe of the Chromebook and only set it up after crossing the border. Except it doesn't work very well in China, where Google is pretty much unusable. 
One option is to log into your account, set up a VPN that is reliable in China, like ExpressVPN, and then do a full shutdown before you cross the border. So the... Uh, wait, wait, wait. Important. Note that merely logging in your, into your Chromebook will create an encrypted user storage directory. So if you don't want to be 100% compliant, if you want to be 100% compliant with the no encrypted devices policy, you don't want to even do that. So if you're handy with IP tables, what you can do instead of a VPN is just down the down packet. What do you mean? So uh, the way that they block Google and things of that uh, like... And there is some like, the occasional human intervention that adapts to it, but the automated ways actually uh, China, uh, the Great uh, Firewall of China will send a down packet. So you can send a down packet with your IP tables rules for that specific down packet. So that way you down the down packet, and then all of a sudden your traffic can flow freely. Really? Yep. Does that actually work? Yep. Is that that's that's pretty simple? Not really. <laughs> oh, it's not. <laughs> no. Well, the way that you said it was like, oh, you, just, you just type a couple of a little of this, a little of that, you restart, you restart the service, and then you're well, done. All right, it took a little while to figure that out. Okay. But to actually, now that you know, and now that our listeners know, that's how long does it take to actually execute? Uh, depends on how good with IP tables you are. Okay. How long does it take you to execute? Uh, I haven't actually personally done this. I uh, can't go into detail about what I know of this. Right. Okay. Well, very interesting. Saving heavy hacking of IP tables, which another cool fact, or tidbit, use, they say use a Chromebook and then tar your user, user folder. Sorry, I'm about to try to hold down a burp. Tar your user folder and upload it to a server that will be accessible in China. Or you could use a VPN to access the server in China. They just then, cre- they just created a Docker image. <laughs> yeah, well, no, they even no, no, they no, even no, that's recommend exactly, saying that's that. exactly what a Docker image is. <laughs> no, but they recommend using using like Docker and Ansible for for this. Well, yeah, obviously, you know, nobody should do this for, uh, uh, by hand. So that's... also also Chromebook has a uh, Chrome OS itself has an awesome update protocol called Omaha. You could be running your own Omaha server. That would be able to just send an entire system image to your Wouldn't uh, laptop. Wouldn't that be blocked by the Great Firewall of China? Depends on if you're running on, like, uh, you could put it on, like, uh, Alibaba's cloud. Interesting. And you're, and you're good. Okay. Well, there you go. So you could do two, two interesting extra stuff, extra things, uh, outside of just uh, tarring up your home folder and then downloading it again. Uh, I imagine you'll have a data cap wherever you are in China. My home folder's pretty big. But I guess if you're traveling, you don't need everything. I don't know. I don't know. Um, that's yeah. That's the, that's the ba- basically it. Encrypt your stuff, put it on a remote server, download it afterwards, or uh, do a Christian site. What do you what do you type in? Uh, nothing particular. Are you talking to some girl? You know it. Hmm. <laughs> um. All right. Well, our last story. You know, I. This is not copying. The URL. Our last story for the evening is uh, Christian. Uh huh. We, we're on. We're on. We're on the air. I know. I can hear you typing. I'm not typing. I can. I can hear you typing. It's. I'm not typing. Okay. Uh, the last. The la- uh, Our nightcap for the evening is about read receipts or red receipts. I've heard them once called red receipts. There's a song. 
called read receipts. Right? Tyler knows this. Mm. Or he called... No, they were, the song is called Red Receipts. Anyway. It's from The Guardian. I know they've seen my message, so why haven't they replied? What are read receipts and how can I stop them from destroying my life? Most platforms will tell you when your message has been opened. On Facebook Messenger, the recipient's profile picture appears next to it. On Snapchat, the arrow goes from an opaque to an outline. On WhatsApp for Twitter... Oh, and WhatsApp and for Twitter direct messages, the tick turns blue. On iMessage, if your recipient has read receipts turned on, delivered changes to read, read. And it tells you the exact time they saw it, which is why I turned mine off. It sounds straightforward enough, even perfunctory, and even... And indeed it is, if only a blip in the back and forth. But when a message lingers unseen without explanation for anything beyond a few minutes, and you've been left on read... Oh, sorry. Without... without uh, I ruined that line. I'm sorry. Monday vibe. Ugh. But when a message lingers unseen without explanation for anything beyond a few minutes, you've been left on read. It's enough to make even the most self-assured individuals question their worth. How do you react, Christian, when somebody leaves you on red? Eh, I don't Well, it depends on urgency, I guess, but otherwise, eh. The anxiety of being left on red is silly, but it is real and unique to this time. There is no analog equivalent. Well, perhaps if you were to stop by a friend's house and knew for sure they were home, but inexplicably not answering the door, but in that case I'd like to think you were giving them the benefit of the doubt and assume they had fallen over in the shower or something. There's no such goodwill in Web 2.0, or 2.5, or 3.0. I think we're in almost Web 3.0 now. When everyone is assumed to be available at all times. And if not, it's personal. Um, this article, honestly, does not really offer any sort of solution. It just talks about the agony of being left unread. Well, it is written by The Guardian. <laughs> Uh, perhaps because they're self-fraught, having read, re- read receipts turned on is seen by some as an exhaustion of complete transparency, an extension of complete transparency. It's apparently considered a show of commitment, which you should give an indication of how low that particular bar has been set. Every medium is selective application of read receipts if someone demands or deserves transparency. iMessage's latest, uh, latest update allows you to send read receipts to individual chat threads. Hit the I in the top right corner and select Send Read Receipts. And that's it. There's no solution. Just try not to get bent out of shape over someone not talking to you. Like some girl that you asked out who talked to you really quickly oh, until okay, you said, okay. hey... You're, you're, you're getting a little too self-reflective there. No, no, no. This is an, <laughs> this is a, an Aziz Ansari bit. You text what, her... What? You, he starts out soft and then he gets loud. No. No, it's that he, uh, it's, you know, he, he's trying to set up a date with this girl, and he texts her, she texts, she texts him back, he texts her again, she texts him back, he texts her, she texts him back, and then he goes, hey, you want to do something really, uh, tomorrow night? Nothing. What are you doing? What happened? Where'd you go? Did your head fall off? What, did you get shot? What happened? He had better metaphors. But, that's the, that's the bit, and it's true. It is a modern dilemma of being left on red. And it hurts so much more when you're trying to go on a date with that person. As fireworks just went off. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh, All right, I, and as fireworks... I, I didn't know you are uh, asking about Katy Perry there. Oh. Oh, there you go. Yeah, you, call me you, maybe? You got some game... The wrong artist. Damn it. Well, it looks like I'm not going out with Katy Perry anytime soon. 
Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's all the news stories we have for this week, Christian. So, do you approve of this week's pull request? LGTM. Fantastic. Then let's get our fireworks underway underway, and uh, celebrate the 4th of July. So let's hit merge. And we'll see you all in two weeks, because I'm not taking the recording equipment to Florida, right here on Pull Request. This has been a Pneumonium production. The views and opinions expressed on Pull Request do not necessarily reflect those of Pneumonium LLC or its subsidiaries. This week's theme music provided by Volpeg. Visit them at V U 